0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Church, you may be seated. You bow your heads as we pray together. Father God, we are thankful for your presence here. Father, we recognize your goodness, your grace, and your favor. Father, our hearts uh, think of those 31 individuals that on Saturday will be joining Mondo in Honduras. Father, we pray that you will open doors, that you will make that travel easy. That you will use their preparation, their obedience, in a powerful way to advance your kingdom among those communities that they enter into. And Father, we give you thanks in advance for the powerful way that you are going to use them. And Father, as our teens, over 130 teens, over the next several weeks, will be stepping onto the camp down in Sophia we ask Lord that you will use that time in a powerful way to bring about change in their lives so that they can be better reflection of kingdom purposes plans and promises Father for children's camp VBS as we prepare for that we ask that you go before us Father we are excited about the days ahead because we see your goodness your favor your purposes. Thank you for the invitation to partner with you here on earth. We are honored by that. We love you. Your strong name, we pray, and all God's people say, Amen, amen, amen. We are in a series that we have entitled the Psalms. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 27, but just a little bit of context and Background. The Psalms have a one, I think I said context, and Siri said, Yes, I did not hear you from somebody's phone. I get distracted. <clears throat> Psalms has a wonderful capacity to capture human experience. Uh, it is composed by numerous authors and it expresses our emotions our feelings, our attitudes, our gratitude and our interests. In other words, it reminds us that in the Psalms, and they're not just Bible people. They're people like you and they're people like me. They're, they're real people. And because of this, no matter how deep the grief, no matter how great the frustration or how exhilarating the joy that you may be experiencing. There is a psalm that aligns perfectly with your heart's cry, no matter what, no matter when. They were written somewhere between 1,400 years before Christ uh, stepped on earth to begin his public ministry. And there are about 73 to, I believe, 75 of the psalms were penned by the hand of David, but there are about 49 of the psalms that we do not know the writer or the author. The psalms not only were used in public worship for Israel, but it was also used in private devotion. Now, I struggle often with emotions. Uh, I have a way, uh, naturally, removing emotions from decision-making gets me in a lot of trouble with my emotional friends. But what I love about the Psalms is that it is full of emotion. And we have to read them within the context in which they are being sung versus just simply exegeting them immediately. Because we can become a scholar, but we can forfeit becoming a saint in the process. So the Psalms is an invitation to lean into these sanctified emotions, these gut-wrenching, honest dialogue between creator God and humanity, which is broken, reminds me of a story of Natan Shalansky, which in 1977, he was an Israeli who was taken, captured by the Russian KBG. And they imprisoned him and they accused him of high crimes against the Russian society and culture. He found himself at the worst part of his nine-year sentence sitting in a six-by-six cell with absolutely no window, no furnishing, just concrete. The only thing that was his constant companion was that of a well-worn book of Psalms that his wife gave him the guards would often take these psalms from him and he would go on a hunger strike until he was able to obtain that book again. And the reason the book was so important because he said that it helped him create language for the torture, for the emotions, for the longing, for the thankfulness, no matter what no matter where, no matter when, to what he was experiencing. And many of you are old enough to remember in 1986 when he was released, he was exchanged for a prisoner that the Americans had captured. And as the car pulled to the end of the runway... Mr. Shalansky emerged from the back seat and as he began to walk to the plane that would fly him to America, he turned and he looked at his captors and he said, where is my book of Psalms? And the guard responded, you have everything you've been permitted to travel with. And he said, I refuse to get on the plane until you give me my book of Psalms. I will not move. I will not take another step. So the guard, he reluctantly Went back to the car and out of the front seat, he merged with the well worn book of Psalms and he handed it to Mr. Shalansky. And as the plane took off, he fulfilled a promise that he made years prior to God. He read Psalm 27. So if you have your Bibles, will you join me in verse 1? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing... I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of the sacred tent, and he will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me nor forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes for false witness rise up against me spouting, malice, accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Most of us who are parents, we've had this experience where in the middle of the night or early in the morning, there will be a thunderstorm that quickly approaches. The thunder will shake the house. The lightning will just dispel any darkness in the bedroom the rain will hit the window and then your children they will wake up and they will walk through the valley of their bedroom and walk down the valley of the hallway and they will walk into your room and they will jump into your bed and there they will find an embrace usually it's startled what you doing but then they will find an embrace they will find a hug And when you embrace them, when you draw them in and you remind them it's going to be okay, you don't stop the thunder. You don't stop the lightning. You don't stop the rain. And yet in your presence, in your embrace, they find the confidence in spite of the storm that they are experiencing, Psalm 27, it is a psalm of trouble, but it doesn't begin in trouble. It begins with good biblical theology. What David is revealing in Psalm 27 is how we trouble our troubler, our troublers, how we bring trouble to the trouble that exists in our lives. And that always begins with a proper understanding what it means. To love God and to serve God and to accept God. It always begins with a proper perspective of how we view God and how we believe God views us. So the question that I have for you this morning is, what do you do in times of trouble? Where do you run? Where do you hide What do you say to yourself when trouble enters the season or through the door of your existence, through the door of your life? In those moments, where do you find comfort? What do you do? Where do you seek refuge? In those moments that you feel helpless, in those moments that you feel weak. I've lived enough life to know that there are two options when we experience trouble, when we enter into a predicament. Either we will gaze upon our trouble and in those moments when we ruminate on it, when we focus on it, we will feel lost, we will feel defeated, anxiety will creep in, fear will take root and that is an option or we can look at the beauty of God And we can dwell in his presence. We can find our hope. We can find our courage and our identity in who God is and in who God is alone. When I read the Psalms, because I admit that sometimes I, I struggle with the emotional discharge if you will, of the psalmists when they talk about just that gut-wrenching. This is how I'm feeling in spite of what I know to be true. So I have pictured a table in the middle of a room with four chairs around it. And around this table exists God in one seat and the son, Jesus in the other, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's this empty chair in which he invites me to sit, to dwell. And oftentimes as I sit in that chair, I don't know what to say. And the Psalms has provided dialogue, language, a script of sort to how I can express that that is happening inside me that I do not have a language or vocabulary for. So for instance, in Psalm 27, God would say to me, the Lord is my light. I am your salvation in which I would respond. Therefore, whom shall I fear? And then God would say, I am your stronghold. I am your very life. And in which I would respond, whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, O God, it is my enemies and my foes. And then God leans in and he says, they will stumble. They will fall. David, with the exception of the hiatus that he had with Bathsheba, he was always somebody as a kid that I looked up to. He was this this bigger than life, you know, character that we read throughout the scriptures. And although he was not perfect, it always intrigued me how this man, a broken vessel, he was a man after God's own heart. And more than that, he was a poet, he was a musician, but he was also a fierce and great warrior. I mean, I love Jason, but I don't want to be around him where he's yielding a sword anywhere, you know? Like, how many poets, how many musicians do you know that you would follow into battle? Well, David, he is this individual that he is a man's man, but he is also has this beautiful, sensitive side and this way with language. And what you come to realize in David's life is that he faces two memorable and primary opponents, two enemies, the first of that being Goliath. And when you think about Goliath, I mean, this guy, he was close to nine foot tall, between six to 700 pounds. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. David, a 12-year-old boy, he is coming with a basket of food to feed his brothers. And from the other side of the valley, he hears these words of mockery, of dissension, of challenge, of rebellion, of blasphemy against a God he loves and he has dedicated his life to. So this 12-year-old boy, he stands on the other side of the valley and he begins to shout back to the enemy, Goliath, you will fall this day. And when you fall, I'm gonna remove your head from your body and I am going to feed your body, the flesh to the birds. I don't like David's chances. If I was a betting man, I wouldn't place my bet on David. But David has his confidence. And we see it and how he prophesies. I used to think that David just talked smack, but he actually did what he said he was going to do in the manner in which he said he was going to do it, which was by the help and the provision and the power of God. So sure enough, Goliath falls. David removes his head from his body, and then he takes the body, and he nails it in the city square of Goliath's hometown. I imagine that didn't go well. And sure enough, the birds feasted off his flesh. And then David He goes back home and Saul, the king of Israel, hears of what David has done and his reputation, how it precedes him. And he says, he orders, he invites, but it's an order, make no mistake about it. He invites David to come and to dwell under the protection of the palace, under his rule and guard. And as David is entering into the city, Saul, from the balcony, hears the chants Saul has killed his thousands. But David, David, he's killed tens of thousands. And then you see it. In that moment, another enemy emerges. But they're not the same kind of enemy. Goliath, he is an opposing force, an opposing figure. He stands on the other side of the valley. You see him. You hear him. You know he's coming. Saul, he's undermining. Saul creates paranoia. One minute he's for you. The next, I, I don't I don't know. Saul gossips. Saul slanders, Saul is hidden. You think you know, but do I? They're both enemies, but they're very, very, very different. Some of you this morning, you're facing Goliath. You have the diagnosis. You're battling the cancer. You're battling the the sickness, the illness. Some of you are walking right now through the divorce. Some of you have sat in the courtroom and the verdict didn't fall on your side even though you were right, even though you were just. Some of you have financial woes. You have relational turmoil you have giants before you. You know them. You see them. You, it's right there. But they're bigger than you. And in these moments you feel helpless, hopeless. You feel like a 12-year-old boy standing on the other side of a valley. And a nine-foot giant is challenging. and some of you your enemy doesn't stand in the light it's not that obvious it's not that known it's in the shadows it's hidden you suspect but you don't know you hear rumors but they offered explanation, but it's consistent enough that it can't be coincidental. The question that we have to ask, regardless of the enemies that we face, how do we respond? What do we do? When we're gripped by anxiety, gripped by fear, when we don't know the best path forward, how do we respond? Psalm 27 reveals the reality, the antidote, the prescription, and it may surprise you, but it's self-talk. You see, the most important voice is not that in the valley nor is it that in the shadows. The most important voice in your life is internal. It comes from the heart. The problem is we oftentimes believe wrong things and when we believe wrong things, we live in wrong ways. So what don't you do because you are afraid? What might you try or what might you do if you were no longer afraid? And you may say, Luke, I'm not afraid of nothing. Then you're worse off than we thought. Because for you, that voice has been so consistent and persistent in your life, so loud, so dominating in your life that you have actually now believed it. You believe it's true. It has informed you, it has formed you, it has transformed you. But Psalm 27, we get inside David's head. So let's take a look at it. If you have your Bibles, verse one. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? What we don't see in the original language that we, and it just messes us up sometimes, is there's accent marks in the Hebrew and in the Greek that accent words that magnify them. And the way that David wrote this, he is magnifying, put on full display this word stronghold. And what a stronghold, who David was a warrior, what that indicates is that when I am retreating from the oppressing and coming forward army, I retreat to a stronghold, a place of preference, a vantage point that gives me dominance over my enemy. In other words, the enemy thinks that I'm retreating in fear, and cowardness, but I'm not. I'm just luring them to me so I can get to a place that I have the advantage. And what David is saying is that when the opposing army comes against you, when the enemy attacks you, you find your refuge, your safe haven, the best possible place, is in the presence, in the arms of Yahweh. God, your provider, God, your protector. Verse two, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear Uh, Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. What David is saying is, it looks like it's getting worse. All things that we measure seems like things are going down and to the left, (laughs) but it's actually getting better on the inside. My confidence is growing in Christ and Christ alone. The strongholds that I've built up about preference, about provision, about security. They're all being broken beneath me. And my dependence is becoming on God and God alone. One thing I ask from the Lord, this do I seek. And in this moment, I am anticipating the words that David prays or sing is, God, this is the one thing I want Remove my enemies, destroy them, kill them, remove them from the equation. But that's not what David asks. He says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I'm expecting him to pray for safety, for dominance, to remove the trouble, to expedite the season. That's not what he wants. David prays in this moment for proximity. When you are riddled by anxiety and fear and depression, when you feel that you don't have the answer, when the enemy is advancing, and you don't have a chance, when paranoia begins to seep into your life, it is not that your enemy is too close. It's that your God is too far. And David is saying, I just want to dwell. I just want to live, exist in the presence of God, and God alone. Verse five, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in the dwelling. He will Hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set, my, set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. And David is reminding that we will face opposition, we will face enemies, seen and unseen. And he is calling us in this moment, he is inviting us in this moment, instead of focusing and becoming absolutely obsessed with the enemy, with the struggles, in the fight, to focus on God's goodness and God alone, he draws close, he knows you, he loves you, And notice that the very things that you think that David is going to pray for are the very things that God provides. You see, when we live lives of faithfulness, when you're dedicated to the perfect will and submissive to the perfect will of God, when our desires align with the wants and the will of God, then he will come through every single time. But Then verse eight, takes a hard left turn. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise against me, spouting malice accusations. There are many scholars who believe that Psalm 27 is actually two different Psalms that were penned by two different individuals that were smashed together. Otherwise, it seems like almost this schizophrenic kind of writing where David in one moment has his chest puffed out and he's full of confidence and bravado. And then all of a sudden, he is full of fear and doubt. God, please don't abandon me. Please don't turn your favor from me. Please don't Leave me in this moment. But I've lived enough life to know the reality that both these emotions can exist in the same person at the same time. Where we ask the question, God, are you really with me? Do I really have your favor? I mean, it's as if David is saying, I trust God, I believe God, he has the best for me. Doesn't he? I think he does. And if we live enough life, we know that this reality exists for you and for me. And in these moments, what we have to do is we have to let God's word speak into our circumstances. My life is not determined by my circumstances or my condition. God's word and God's word alone gets to speak to my condition, begins to speak to my circumstances. So what do we do? When we realize that we're in the valley, some of us are facing Goliath, some of us are facing Saul's. There's four things that I just want to lean into you this morning and encourage you. Verse 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Four things when you're facing enemies, either that that is seen or that that is unseen. First thing is you gaze, not on your troubles, but on God and God alone. You gaze upon his beauties, his sufficiency, his grace, his mercy. In the morning when you wake up, you gaze. You gaze upon his sufficiency, his favor upon you. The second thing is you remember you remember his truth and his words and his promises and his plans for you, that you are his beloved, you are his sons, that you are his daughters. You remember that there's never been a time in history that he has abandoned his people and he will not begin with you. There's never been a time in human history that he has not been sufficient, that he has not been able. And because of that, you rest You rest in his promises, you rest in his glory, you rest in the beauty of his grace, and then you respond, but only then. In other words, you don't respond out of fear, you don't respond out of worry, you don't respond out of anxiety, you don't respond out of haste, you respond only when you have gazed and you have remembered You've reflected, you've rested, and you are secure in the promises of God and God alone. If you would this morning, would you bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, many of us in this room right now, we are facing our enemies, and we fear that we have no place to run And Father, on the other side of the valley, there is an opposing army that we feel helpless against. It seems so big. and We just, in light of it, seem so small. In that moment, we remember your goodness. We proclaim your promises. Father, for some of us, we are facing enemies that are not as obvious, not as known. It's more an inward fight, an inward battle. It is a battle, not of the heart, but of the mind. It is a wrestling. At night, we can find no comfort, we can find no rest, we can find no safe haven, no refuge. You see, Father, what we have come to understand in our lives, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, There's always going to be mysteries in life that we have to navigate. The opposite of faith is fear. And the opposite of fear is not self-confidence. The opposite of fear is trust. So regardless of the enemies that we face, we trust you. We trust that you are good. We trust that you are present. We trust that you are for us. We trust that you are able. We trust in your grace and in your mercy and your love for us. We trust in your sufficiency. God, we just trust you. So our response is faithful obedience in the form of submission. Father, have your way in us, with us, and through us. For you and you alone are able. In your strong, precious, and sufficient name. And all God's people say, Amen. You stand to your feet as we close and worship together. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesley.com.